Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy book club transmitting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. Big thank you to them. And are part of the Tuned In family of podcasts. I'm your host, Liz. And with me today is... Tim. Today we're discussing the book Piranesi by Susanna Clark. And just so you know, ahead of time, there will be spoilers in this discussion because we assume that you have already read the book. So just be aware of that. We do spoil some things. Occasionally discussions may uh, tread into waters that are not for youngling years, but I don't think we'll have too much of that today. It's more about uh, mysticism and fantasy than anything else. Um, and so with that, I'm going to give you a short bio on the author, Susanna Clark. Uh, she's an English author. This is from her Wikipedia page. Uh, she's best known for her debut novel, which is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Uh, that was a Hugo Award winning alternative fantasy and Clark began Jonathan Strange in 1993 and worked on it during her spare time for a decade. She published short stories from the Strange Universe, but it was not until 2003 that Bloomsbury bought the manuscript and began to work on the publication. The novel eventually became a bestseller. It's likened to being a Harry Potter for adults often. Um, I have tried to read it a couple of times, uh, but in audio and haven't made it very far into it. But it wasn't because I didn't like it. I did like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I found the characters very endearing, and I would like to take a stab at reading it one day. Anyway, two years later, after, after Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell's published, she publishes a collection of short stories called The Ladies of Grace Adieu and Other Stories. And her debut novel and her short stories are set in the magical England and written in a pastiche of styles of 19th century writers such as Jane Austen and Charles Dickens. While Strange focuses on the relationship of two men, Jonathan Strange and Gilbert Norrell, the stories and ladies focus on the power women gain through magic, which, sound, which sounds very interesting. Clark's second novel, Piranesi, is the one that we're discussing, and that was published in September 2020. And I think Liz is going to go ahead and give you a summary of that right now. Yes, I'm going to attempt to give y'all a summary. And thank you for that disclaimer about spoilers, because I am fairly certain it's impossible to summarize this book without giving away some sort of spoiler just because it's so hard. Uh, anyways, to the summary. So we follow the main character, Piranesi. Um, he acknowledges that he doesn't really have a name, but he lives in this giant quote unquote house. And I say quote, because is it a house? Is it more than a house? To him, it's his whole world. Like the house is the world. And it's only him and one other person who are alive and moving in this giant house. And whenever I say house, I feel like I need to clarify. It's a house that has its own like 
seasons, weather, uh, tides, just it's it's a world like it's a world, um, but it's also a house. And the story follows him initially just kind of he journals everything that he experiences and learns while he's in this house because he is a scientist or at least least that's what he refers to himself as and as it's through these journal entries that you find out that you learn about the house that you learn about him that you learn about the other who is the other person who is alive in this place and then it's also where you see Piranesi start to learn that his beautiful world and an existence in this house is not as simple as it as he thinks it is and that he's actually a different person from a different dimension there's a little bit of an element of like a mystery kind of like a murder mystery and um I think that's about the sum of it yeah I think so I don't know did I miss anything Tim that you feel like should be mentioned yeah it's it's very difficult to to summarize the house the house is alternatively called a house and it's also called a labyrinth by some others mm-hmm. and the name piranesi um that i've seen associated with is uh a guy by the name of jean baptiste piranesi um who was an artist famous for sketching the uh, Roman ruins. And some say that he uh, inspired the likes of M.C. Escher, which certainly the way the house is described is very Escher-like in its uh, qualities. I don't know who that is, so I will trust you in that observation. Real quick, uh, though, I will say, whenever you were reading the bio for Clark, you said pastiche, and yes. I had never heard of that word, so while you were talking, I was Googling, and for those of y'all who are like, what in the world is a pastiche? It is a noun, and it is an, an artistic work in a style that imitates that of another work, artist, or period, so thank you, Google, for that. Yes. Google is a miracle. The Google machine is is fantastic. I do want to talk about my initial reaction to this book to just get it out of the way. Because there is a lot of irony to me anyways about this book because I'm the one. So Tim and I take turns choosing the books we read and talk about on the podcast. And I chose this book. And it is, I think it is under 300 pages. Yep, it is 245 pages according to Goodreads. And it took me over a month to read this book <laughs> I would start it and then it took me so long to get into it it kind of reads in the beginning I think as a little stream of consciousness because you're reading the journal entries of Piranesi and him just making like observations about his life and his and the world he lives in and stuff it's not rambling by any means like you can tell there's a point it just it took a lot for me to get into it and it wasn't until the character known as Laurent comes in and enters this world that things really started to get interesting to me. And then I was like, okay, now I'm invested to see kind of where this story goes and see how it ends. But even then, whenever I got to the end, I was like, oh, okay. Like half the book is is world saying. So 
have you ever seen the drawing of like the stairs that go in all different directions they're upside down they're right side up they're yes. they're left right okay that's an escher drawing oh then yeah i could totally see the real the um similarities between <laughs> that and the and the description of like the house slash labyrinth right and then you have all the statues of the minotaurs so i can see how the the labyrinth comes into play there but but in reality Piranesi is someone else. He he has been someone else in the real world, and he was sort of tricked into being transported into this alternate world that's described as a place carved out by forgotten knowledge, like things that humans in this world used to know seep down into the ground and created this other world is the way it's it's described yeah and it's also like or the way i understood it was also like failed dreams or aspirations and it's they yeah it's like it seeped into the ground and it somehow created its own separate world and all the statues are like representations of these people's failed or never even pursued like dreams and ideas well he does uh at the end sort of when he makes it back into the real world he he goes through this mystery of trying to he thinks himself very methodical he thinks himself fully in control of his mind uh and he has these meetings with the other who he thinks is the only other living person in the world and to us reading it we we're thinking well you know like how is the other dressed in three-piece suits how does the other come back and give you tennis shoes out of nowhere how does the other have a phone right Uh, a cell phone right we all recognize instantly that's a cell phone but piranesi has no idea what it is he just says he's tapping on his shiny thing again but the other is using Piranesi. He's transported him here ostensibly because the person who Piranesi was in the real world was a very good record keeper. And so he's tricked this person into coming in knowing full well that the house can mess with your memory. And, And so Piranesi has now spent so much time in the house that he has no clue who he used to be and even whenever he does find out who his actual or like what his actual identity is and his actual name they are like two it's a completely different person it's like yes Matthew I think the I think his name was Matthew Matthew is a part of me and he's in me and like I'm taking care of him like I thought that was that was a really interesting uh way to kind of approach the situation I think that Clark did it's like I'm taking care of Matthew he's in me and I you know I'm caring for him and this is Piranesi which is the same person like Matthew and Piranesi are the same person but I mean Piranesi like you said to him his mind is just so warped by this world that whenever he does realize he is the same person it's like I don't know if it's disassociation or just they are just he is Piranesi and then he is Matthew, but Matthew is also not him. It's like this other person that just resides in him. Right. M- Matthew just resides in him and he's not really Piranesi at the end either, right? He's, right. Yeah. 
He's sort of become this this third person that has both Matthew and Piranesi inside him. And and this third person doesn't have a name yet. So anyway, Piranesi's down there with the the other who's using him to map out the labyrinth, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And this professor shows up one day and this professor is the one who's taught the other whose uh, name is Lawrence how to get to this world so the professor is professor Arn Sales oh Arn right? Sales okay yeah and then Lawrence um, I forgot what his last name is already something with a K it was like a really interesting last name but obviously not interesting enough for me to remember or Valentine Ketterly, right? Valentine yes, Ketterly. Val- okay, so Valentine Ketterly is the other who Piranesi thinks is the only other person in the world. Uh, Lawrence Arnsales is the professor who came up with this idea of, or this concept of the other worlds where mm-hmm. created by knowledge escaping from primordial man, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so Lawrence was the first person to make these travels between worlds. And he shows up in the halls and has a conversation with Piranesi. And Lauren, uh, Valentine, the other Ketterly, has warned Piranesi of a person called 16, who Ketterly says Piranesi must not talk to or... Um, he will lose his mind and it's ironically the other's words that lead Piranesi to going back and reading his journals to find out not only is he not going to lose his mind he's already lost it yeah like it is it is well and gone right so through reading his journals, he he starts to remember things that uh, they had no memory of before, and um, this person sixteen who comes seeking Piranesi, the other wants to keep her away because he wants to keep Piranesi where he is, mapping out the the labyrinth for him, and uh, she turns out to be a police officer who has been searching for him. So him being Matthew. Him being Matthew slash Piranesi. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's like a really extended summary of the book. Because, again, it's like, it's hard. And those are all spoilers. Like, those are all spoilers. But it's so hard to talk about this book and not spoil it. Besides just saying, dude in a house slash mystery. The end. (laughs) I watched this this book talk video by a guy named Ron Charles from the Washington Post and he was like you know I don't want to talk too much about it it's it's got a lot of recommendations from people I don't know like Neil Gaiman and you know whoever that is Uh, but I mean if you're going to get a recommendation I guess that's a pretty good place to get a fantasy recommendation yeah I Um, I mean I, I think so maybe question mark the the one thing that i found really interesting about this that i haven't seen discussed anywhere yet and i'm by no means an expert but uh is the similar similarity or the uh the significance of the albatross 
Now, remember, he the book starts out very near with an albatross coming to the southern halls, right? Right. Well, all of so like the way Piranesi dates his journals, it's not in like year formats that we think of. It's in like, I guess, monumental events that I guess help him recall like a section of time. And so like the whole book is the year the albatross came to like the southern northeast vestibule or something, right? Came to the southern hall, the seventh southern hall or something. Okay. Um, but did you ever read The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner? I did not. That sounds like a book that I was maybe recommended. And the minute I saw it was a classic, I was like, no, thank you. So no, it, it's, a, it's the longest poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And in the poem, uh, this old bedraggled mariner shows up at a wedding and starts telling this really engrossing tale about he and his shipmates getting stuck in the Antarctic and an albatross they they can't you know they're hemmed in by ice they can't get out and an albatross shows up and when the albatross shows up the waters start to warm and they're able to break free and they are of course at sea they haven't been able to fish for anything they're all hungry but the, the men are feeding the albatross things that they could catch. And um, they, they think that the bird is good luck because it was the day that it showed up that they were able to break free and get out of the ice. Mm. And the mariner, out of hunger, shoots the albatross. <laughs> and um, the whole crew goes crazy and they make him... Um, basically wear the albatross around his neck as uh, as a sign of his wrongdoing. Um, they blame the mariner for their torment, their thirst, and their anger. They, uh, this is from the Wikipedia page about this poem. They force the mariner to wear the dead, al dead albatross uh, uh, about his neck and perhaps to illustrate the burden that he must suffer from killing it, or perhaps as a sign of regret. And it's also this poem uh, where you get the uh, the uh, the words "water, water everywhere, not any drop to drink." That's where that comes from. That's where that comes from. Oh, okay. Um, Wait, maybe I have read this. I feel like I probably did read this in school, but I just don't remember because my degree is in English, so I feel like. I probably did read it and I just don't remember. But this is fascinating. I love this connection you made, Tim. Yeah, so so I find it really significant that the book uh, starts out with the albatross coming. And this is the, this is, and the albatross has a baby or the albatross has a mate and they have a chick. And uh, it's as the chick grows that all these things start coming to fruition. First, the mention of 16, then Arn Sales showing up, Piranesi going through his journals, and then at the end, before he leaves the labyrinth, do you remember what, what comes out sailing out of the hall? Is it the albatross? It's an owl, a white owl. Oh, that's right. It is an owl. So kind of like the, the symbol of, what, knowledge, enlightenment, mm -hmm. maybe? I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but no, I think I think this is fascinating and this is great. I definitely didn't even think 
to think about the um the symbolism of the albatross which i mean yeah it kind of seems obvious because like there's like each journal entry is again the year the albatross came to the southern hall or whatever and then there is a section or there's an entry where he talks about like the actual time like the actual event of the albatross coming right and and so early on like in the book I, I mean, the albatross, I think, is one thing that it would be fun to explore more. And I'd like to go back and read the entire Coleridge poem just to see if I could draw more parallels there. Yeah. One of the other things that I felt was funny is that in the first meeting that we see between the other and Piranesi, you know, at this point, as far as we know, they really are both trapped in this world and they're the only two people there right. and they're having this conversation and Piranesi starts to get on the other's nerves and it's like the other is like I don't have time to answer your irrelevant questions and I and I put a note in my Kindle notes that uh, the only two two people who live in complete solitude get annoyed with each other in under five minutes oh yeah, 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 yeah. if that doesn't speak to human nature I don't know what does but that's also the first clue is like when that's when he wants Piranesi to go and map out the stars and Piranesi says well I can't go there because there's too much broken glass and too many rocks and uh, I don't have any shoes and he's like well I'll get you shoes tomorrow well how does he do that yeah yeah I mean the other like Clark is really good about building up the distrust and suspense around the other throughout the book because it's it's just a little tidbit here just a little comment there and as a reader you're you start looking like a dog with your head salting to the side I mean maybe that's just me (laughs) but you just start going eh (laughs) in reading this this book I kept expecting there at some point to be an actual minotaur right I mean I would have really loved and maybe I was expecting something similar but I was kind of expecting some of these statues to come to life right I just wanted that something something like that Um, yeah because this book is it is classified as a sci-fi fantasy I think it's more fantasy than sci-fi but it's one of those this is kind of a weird way to describe it but it's it's one of those quieter kind of fantasy books or some people may call it low fantasy instead of high fantasy even though it is I would almost call it psychological fantasy yeah yeah I could see that because there is again that murder mystery and like psychological manipulation element to it um because and again psychological manipulation is a big thing with the Lawrence professor guy that's kind of it's almost like he builds a cult around his belief that there is this like other knowledge like this deep it was a really good word you used earlier primordial knowledge and he's trying to access it because he believes there's another dimension and I mean yeah he's apparently right (laughs) because that's where Piranesi is so half the time I was looking for fawns and and minotaurs and then you know near the end I thought like surely that 
all of this was in his mind. Like he was just someone who was like locked in uh, in their own mind and that maybe they had created this fantasy world uh, as a way to entertain themselves because they couldn't interact with the real world. Uh, but that wasn't the case either. It, it is literally... Um, Arn Sales calls it a distributory world or a distributary world. It was created by ideas that flew, flow out of other worlds. I yeah. mean, it's a really fascinating premise. And I'm thinking personally, maybe I just wasn't in the great headspace for reading it at that time. You know, I don't, I don't know about some of our listeners and I don't know about you, Tim, but I could definitely be a moody reader. So I get in the mood for certain types of books and if I'm not in the mood for a certain type, I'm just like, eh, I don't want to read it. But, but I will totally acknowledge that this book I think was really well done and it was a really fascinating world. And I, I know we bring this up a lot in the podcast because, and I know we talked about it in our introductory podcast, but I feel like this book really takes a look at human nature because Piranesi kind of reverts back to almost a childlike state when he's in this world. He does and he so there was a a guy who had been trapped there before but not by Ketterly but by the Professor Arnsales mm-hmm. and uh what was his name Butters? Paul. I don't remember. But he so Piranesi, when he reassumes his role in the real world as Matthew Rose, um, goes and seeks this guy out and then takes him back to the labyrinth. And the first thing the guy does is cry and he goes to where he used to sleep when he was there and lays down and just curls up. Yeah, because he's happy to be back. Like, I think like that distinction needs to be very clearly understood, especially if you haven't read the book. This man's happy to be back. Like he he'd been wanting to go back, and Piranesi didn't want to leave, but um, and he's only I think okay with leaving when he finds out that he can come back, you know, because he he does ask the the police officer who found him, like you'll bring me back here, right? And and she said, sure, I can show you how to get back anytime that you want. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, it, it's described as a place of complete silence. And who couldn't do with a place like that these days? That's very true. That is very true, especially with all of our devices that we constantly have on us and just the noise of everyday life, whether you're just hearing traffic go by or a plane fly overhead or someone sneezing. <laughs> in your vicinity i mean there's always like some sort of ambient noise right even even as i sit here now i hear i hear traffic and i hear people out in the halls and it's just kind of a nice thought to disconnect and have silence for a while yeah one also i feel like it's silent also in that your other senses also get a break because i mean I'm, I, whenever I picture the labyrinth, it's very kind of shades of black and white and gray because I'm picturing obviously 
marble and stone statues and I'm picturing dark almost rock type walls like walls that have been roughly carved out of dark stone or something did you picture windows I didn't I didn't picture windows well a couple instances I did because I think it was described as a window like there was some points where a window was seemingly described but when I just think of the labyrinth and the in this book I do not picture windows. I picture random holes in the ceiling, like where these birds fly in from who knows where, but they're not windows. They're just like, yeah, just like a hole, kind of like at the top of a mountain, like you, or a volcano. You know how there's a hole at the top of a volcano? The water gets in somehow because yeah. there, there's like an ocean that flows, flows in at high tide and flows out at low tide perhaps even more than one perhaps it's like a nexus where right uh, for four different o- oceans converge uh it certainly seems to be the case so the birds probably come in where the water comes in and interestingly i didn't picture it with windows either even though he said specifically at one point he was looking across the courtyard and he could see the other in another window across the way and tried to wave and get his attention and and was unable to do so because the other was always in the middle of his thing. Huh. I totally forgot about that. I was like, I know that there was some points where a window was described, but I can't re- can't recall them. And yeah, it's like I still, even with like that very clear description, I still do not picture windows in this labyrinth. Right. I was picturing like these huge gothic halls, you know, yes. a black and white marble uh, floor and these giant double doors that lead from one section to another. Um, yeah. Do you think like going through the doors could lead you different places? So how is it that he never accidentally stumbled upon another time or another place with people? I mean, it looks like to get in and out of this world, you have to have like a very clear intention at a very specific entrance. Because everything, like the entrance in and out was around this like minotaur, right? Yeah, in the main, in the first festival is where the minotaurs are. And so it wasn't actually, I don't think it was a door they passed through, but... It was like they went between the minotaurs, right? Or was yeah, it was kind a, of like a negative space, like just yeah, it was just like negative space that in like if you weren't looking for anything else, it was just darkness between two statues. And I'm pretty sure if Piranesi like put his hand there, he would just like fill a wall. But that's what I'm saying. Like I feel like to get in and out of this world, you have to have like that very clear intention or I forgot exactly how Lawrence describes it, but like you have to. Well, to get into the world, you have to put yourself in a childlike state of wonder. Yes. So, and, and I guess that's what I'm referring to when I mean like specific intention. So I'm, I'm thinking it kind of works that way to get out, but maybe. You have to have an adult state of disdain. Yes. And cynicism. <laughs> Oh, real quick, before um, we wrap this up, I just want to say one of the things that threw me off about this book was all the random capitalization. And Tim, you said it would make sense by the end of the book. 
and you done lied because it did not. <laughs> that was just me trying to get you to finish it. Oh, it worked because it did motivate me to keep pushing through. But at the end of it, I'm just, I was still so confused. If anybody knows why, there was so much random capitalization. Susanna Clark, if you hear this, please email us, sappleescapetheearth at gmail.com. And please clarify this to me because I don't. And it threw me off for so long. Yeah, make you read Cormac McCarthy's The Road next. No, don't do that to me. Um, so I, I don't have much more, and I know that you have a, an assignment that you have to go finish. So I, I just want to point out real quick that most podcasts that fail do so within the first nine episodes. And this is episode number nine, so we outlasted <laughs> All those other failed podcasts. So yes, we are out of baby dumb. We are now in <laughs> podcast toddlerhood. That's right. And um, so, and thank you to our listeners for like motivating us, keeping us going, and listening to us. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so, if you want to get in touch with us, then please uh, reach out to us at sappleescapetheearth at gmail.com. You can look at our book list, find our Goodreads page by going to guides.mysapple forward slash, wait, guides.mysapple.org forward slash ETE. And uh, that will have links to our Goodreads page. It'll have our reading list. It'll have show notes and transcripts, as well as links to every episode. And join us next month when we talk about or discuss Into the Drowning Deep. By Mira Grant. Yes. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Until next time. Escape the Escape the